I'm Sarah Heiner, president of Bottomline Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be talking today to Dr. David Shear, a physician, author, and inventor. He's the lead author of Dr. David Shear's Hospital Survival Guide, 100 plus ways to make your hospital stay safe and comfortable. He's a member of Leading Physicians of the World and a multi-time winner of HealthTap's Leading Anesthesiologist Award. Dr. Shear practices anesthesiology in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., and he's held two U.S. patents in the fields of critical care medicine and telecommunications. He's a tireless advocate for hospitalized patients and believes that individual responsibility and not government intervention is the key to improving the general health and well-being of all Americans. Dr. Shear is also the author of one of Bottom Line's most popular blogs, entitled What Your Doctor Isn't Telling You. You can read and subscribe to his blog at bottomlineinc.com. So welcome, David. No wonder we're talking to you today about the inner workings of the hospitals. Uh, good morning. How are you doing? I am very well. And you? Very well. Thank you. Glad okay. to be here. Good. Good, good, good. All right. You know, I'm reading, I'm reading your, um, your intro, and we're talking about the process today of hospitalists. We're going to talk about the, the hospital's new system. I guess it's about 20 years old now, um, where when you go to the hospital, you no longer see your doctor, but they assign you a doctor. And as I'm reading about your tireless advocacy for hospitalized patients, I'm not so sure that hospitalists are the right and best thing for patients and whether or not those are for patients or whether or not it's for the hospital's own good. So let's talk for a second. Let's define what hospitalists are. Can you tell me what, what your the overview of from a, someone that works in the hospital's point of view is on hospitalists, the hospitalist system? Well, sure. Um, to begin with, what we have to understand is the background. And uh, you did say correctly that the movement uh, in hospitalist medicine is about 20 years old. It, uh, the phrase was first coined in 1997. And um, the concept grew out of a movement where uh, the, your primary care physician uh, needed some kind of assi an assistance and system whereby he or she could free up their day in order to take care of their in-office patients and not have to race back and forth to the hospital in the morning or during hours or in the evening and field phone calls from the hospital while they're working in the office. So this whole movement came about partially for that reason and indeed today, hospitalists care for three quarters of all hospitalized patients in the United States. Well, in theory, you know, most laws come about for a good reason, in good theory. And then in execution, it gets really tricky. So in theory, that makes sense. The PCPs can't be running back and forth to the hospital. But now what's happened is there's this wall between the patient and their doctor and the hospital. They're totally separate. You know, I would agree with that, um, by and large. And the reason I say that is uh, human design systems are only as good as the end user. You can have these great committees and these great ideas and these great concepts that uh, you're going to have a seamless and uh, vigorous interaction between the doctor in the hospital, between the patient and the family, and between the primary care physicians. But I have to tell you, like most human systems, uh, what looks good on paper doesn't always translate into the field of action. So I, I think what you're leading to is quite an accurate statement. Yeah. And I just, I've recently, re the reason this topic even came up with us was because 
My mother-in-law was in the hospital for six weeks. In the course of that time, she probably saw at least eight, if not 10 different doctors. Every two days, a different doctor came into her room. Some of them she'd seen before, some of them she didn't. But in every single case, none of them knew her as a patient, none of them knew her as a person. And while they had, I'll call it the history of her time in the hospital, none of them had extensively read it because they're rushing around paying attention to many patients, so they don't really have time to adequately get up to speed on what her issues are, which to me put her tremendously at risk, and it was hard for her to deal with a different doctor every day. And some of them were better at communicating with her, and some of them were less good at communicating with her. You know, you raise a great point because it actually brings me back to the subject of the blog that I wrote this week for your great organization, and it's also pertinent to our discussion. When I was young, and uh, I used to go on rounds with my father, who practiced medicine for an astounding 56 years, Wow. Um, he would introduce me to his patients when they consented, and um, he knew all about their families, he knew all about them, he knew all about their problems. Um, you know, I know I don't want to wax nostalgic about how the good old days were better, but I do have to tell you that he certainly knew the lives of his patients uh, much better uh, than the experience you had with your mom and the many people who took care of her. Well, and I think that if I read all the research correctly, outcomes, they're better for the hospital in terms of there's lower resources and it's a little more cost efficient and the patients are out of the hospital in a shorter period of time. But the patient outcomes are not necessarily, they're not worse, but they're not better necessarily with the hospitalists, which I guess um, in the hospitals is a win. Uh, it can be. Um, right. in, in the research that I've done, I, I, I've compiled some interesting statistics and facts that offer kind of a mixed bag of the hospitalist role. Um, there was a Journal of the American Medical Association Internal Medicine article that had come out recently that quoted a study that looked at half a million Medicare beneficiaries whose average age was 80. And they did a retrospective study where they looked at the outcomes and the statistics regarding uh, the care of these people. And they found that the uh, non-hospitalists, your primary care physician, actually use more consultations and have a longer length of stay. Um, and that the primary care physician actually had a smaller readmission rate to the hospital. Which is one and, of the critical measures for hospital success, right? Yes, it is. And the other uh, statistic that did come out of this study was actually your personal physician did result, the care with your personal physician actually had a lower 30-day mortality rate than care from hospitalists. So, um, you know, you get conflicting data on this um, about who's more likely to discharge the patient, who more likely is to survive after 30 days, uh, uh, what the expenses are and um, the readmission rates. There are other studies too. So the, the jury's still out on whether it's a better system or not to have a hospitalist. Right, but meanwhile, so I, I ran for a while, we go down this tunnel, but this is the system we have. So a couple more questions about the system and then we're gonna talk about what people can do about it. So. What's the education of the hospitalists? Because I wasn't quite certain that, like, what's their, do they have specialized training? Are they pure generalists? How senior are they? Because um, frankly, some of the hospitalists, I wasn't that impressed with. Well, 
Um, a very good question on your part. Uh, first of all, you might notice that hospitalists tend to be younger. And, yes, um, totally. Although, yes, and although I don't have statistics on that to back that up, this is just anecdotal information, I would say that you're right in that. Um, the training of the um, uh, hospitalist is usually in internal medicine. So in the United States, the system is that uh, a person goes to medical school and chooses a specialty for residency, and one of the basic residencies that one does is to get a three-year or four-year uh, residency program in internal medicine. So the vast majority or a high number of hospitalists are, are certified in internal medicine. Now, there are a number of other younger doctors who are certified in other specialties like primary care, family practice, and um, related specialties like, like that. So it's going to be very difficult to find a hospitalist who is outside of those specialties. And the other anecdotal information I have for you is a lot of times hospitalists do this kind of work early in their career so that they could A, have a fairly decent lifestyle for themselves and B, uh, pay off expensive student loans while they're trying to choose another specialty. Oh, interesting. Because in fact, I was just going to ask you if they like their jobs. Because frankly, some of them didn't really seem it that way. Right. Um, well, there is that concept of physician burnout that has become very much in the public eye right now in the medical literature. And there was actually an article in the Washington Post yesterday about physician burnout and what causes it. And one of the main reasons uh, physicians get burned out is seeing such a high volume of very sick people. And I have to tell you, you know my blog, as we age and get live longer, our society is getting filled with chronically sick people. So um, to get back to your original point, uh, a lot of these younger physicians are doing this to kind of tread their own water, pay back their student loans, gain some experience before they might apply for, say, a higher paying uh, specialty down the road. Yeah, which, you know, the danger in that, and again, I was seeing this like crazy, was all those young, well-intended generalists are getting thrown into the deep end of all sorts of swimming pools. Is it a digestive issue? Is it a pain issue? Is it a heart issue? And they're an inch deep in terms of their knowledge. So uh, I was, that, yeah, that's I, true. And I don't want to slam hospitalists. There certainly can be a role for them. There are certainly very talented hospitalists out there. There are certainly very dedicated hospitalists out there. So I don't want to take a smear brush. Yeah, yeah. But I do. But I do want to balance this in saying that you know when you have a person just out of training, um, they may know the latest information and they may know the latest studies and technology, but their toe is short in the experience pool. So your point is well taken. Yeah, and again, the, the, the big point is that this is the system that we currently have. So it's a, I think, a, dangerous is probably too strong a word, but it's definitely a system that people need to take responsibility as being part of. They need to be aware of the challenges in it and we're going to take a break and come back and talk about what, in fact, they can do to best work within that system. All right, yes, we'll be back in a great. second, David. I'm talking to leading anesthesiologist and patient advocate, Dr. David Shear. 
Healthcare only gets more complicated, especially for hospitalized patients. That's why Dr. Shear does all he can to help people understand the ins and outs of the healthcare system, including what they can do to help themselves in the process. Dr. Shear is just one of the many leading experts who share their wisdom in America's most empowering newsletter, Bottom Line Personal. Twice each month, readers get actionable insider advice on all aspects of life, including living a healthy life, travel, insurance, home maintenance, retirement planning, smart tax strategies, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for over 40 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of the greatest tips from our experts of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash BLP. We're back with Dr. David Shear, and we're talking about the structure in hospitals where they you no longer have your own doctor in the hospital, but you have what's assigned as a hospitalist when you go into the hospital. And David, it's to me, it's a really frightening thing because you know you have a relationship with your primary care doctor, you have a relationship with somebody that's known you, knows your history, you feel comfortable with, and in the hospital you have a parade. Now, understanding most people are only in the hospital for a few days, but you might have one or two different people that show up. They don't know anything about you or your history. So now you're, you're kind of at their whim and they're trying the best they can with limited information to help you. So it's a scary thing, yes? It is definitely a scary thing. Um, you know, uh, it's kind of like going to get your hair cut at a strange barbershop, you know. Uh, you go in uh, if you're out of town and you see eight chairs and you see eight people and there are men and women there of all different backgrounds and you're wondering who's who of these people is going to give me a good haircut <laughs> and and you know I often use that analogy uh, when I talk about specialists like anesthesiologists and radiologists and emergency room physicians you don't choose those people they're kind of put on you by the system so, uh, you know, you may get someone who's just awesome, you know, great bedside manner, great experience, great fund of knowledge, really talented. And then by the same token, you may get somebody, you know, who's not so great. So, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of all the luck of the draw when it comes to the hospitalist, because let's face it, you don't choose your hospitalist. No, you don't, which is then leads us to what we're going to talk about now, which is what can the patient do? to help ensure they get the best treatment that they can. Because you know, you and I both agree that people have to be active in their health. And in the hospital, more so than ever before, you still, even though you're not feeling well, have to figure out a way to be active to be sure you get the best care you can. So what kind of strategies do we have? Do, do you have a list of stuff? How do we want to talk about this? Well, you know, like most things in medicine, and as I originally said, and in the intent of my, my book that I wrote, um, you know, you really have to be your own advocate uh, because if you're not going to stand up for yourself and, and help the people who are taking care of you, it's very easy to get lost in the system. And so being active about that, either yourself or a family member or a friend, if you're fortunate enough to have those other things, is very important. Um, so there are some basic things you can do to make everybody's life easier and make uh, the experience with the hospitalist as effective as possible. One of those things can be very simple. Um, you can keep a 5x8 index card uh, updated with your current 
basic medical problems and your current medications. Now, when I say your basic medical problems, I'm not talking about the fact that your knee hurts you every so often or that you had a, a uh, skin lesion removed back in 1965. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about basic essential medical information such as the chronic conditions that you're being treated for now. And in the United States, these conditions usually fall into the same unfortunate categories. High blood pressure, diabetes, um, certain forms of cancer, certain forms of autoimmune disease, certain neurologic diseases. These are the basic common sense, run-of-the-mill medical problems that unfortunately are plaguing our society now and are even growing. So if you can have a problem list of these issues on the first uh, element of your card, that can be very helpful. The second is an updated list of the medications and supplements that you take. And unfortunately, this list is growing by leaps and bounds. I'm astounded every day as I go into uh, the clinic and see the sheer number of medications that patients are on. It's not unusual for me to see people on 10 or 12 medications, which to me is absolutely mind-boggling, but that's the way it is. That's, so, that's a, div a, a different podcast for a different day. It is, most certainly. Yes. But so we've, we've covered the basic, your medical problems, your medications, any allergies or sensitivities you might have, and thirdly, any major surgeries you've had in the past. You know, I'm not interested if, you know, you sprained your ankle when you were 10 years old and they had to put a cast on it or so. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about whether you've had uh, major intestinal surgery, whether you've had uh, cancer surgery, whether you've had any type of head or neck surgery, brain surgery. These are common sense major issues that your hospital needs to know and will help them guide you through the process. Well, and I so, think an important point on this, because it, you know most people will think, oh, well, I'll remember that, I'll be able to tell them. But two things, one is you may be unconscious. You may right. be not a full sound mind and body, because if you're in the hospital, you're in there for a reason. But more right. importantly is there's you forget just in the course of life, you may not remember all the pieces to tell them. And that if you write it down, you don't have to worry about it, and then you just have it to give to them. Right. And you can do this every six right. months or a year, depending right. on your health, you know. And family um, members should have it as well. Because absolutely. again, right. one of the things that I really saw a lot was the importance of having someone there with my mother-in-law to, yep. be, to be a second set of information and a second set of eyes and ears. Right. And so that, that's very important. I was going to go on to say that listing the, the go-to person, the contact information on that card whether it's a spouse, a child, a brother, sister, parent, whatever, um, that list of contact people can round out really the, the, the four major elements, the medical problems, the medications, the prior surgeries, and the go-to people. If you can have that on a card and keep it updated, and I know in our age of technology, people want to get fancy and put it on the device and well, you know, sometimes devices don't work in hospitals. Sometimes devices don't share well with other devices. You know, sometimes it's good to go old, old school. A card is a physical thing that can be copied and shown to a person. So I think sometimes it's just easier to go that route. Well, and I think the other thing is, like, 
this sounds like such basic advice, but it astonishes me all the time how people don't cover the basics, the very basics. Right, that because, they, because they get so lost in, in details and, and, and fixated with maybe one study or another that came back uh, questionable right. that they, they lose sight of the big picture. And um, I think you really need a big picture because your doctor certainly has the big picture of you. Well, um, they do. Well, I think also, though, they, your personal care physician does. But I think another aspect that when the hospitalist comes in, you can't assume that they know that they've read the chart, read it fully and really know what's going on with you. No, they they, they can't because they, it, physically it's impossible. I mean, if you're rounding on and I'm making up numbers, but my guesstimate would be between eight and 20, sometimes 25 people to digest all the information from a chart and these long notes, it's just not going to happen. I'm sorry. But just think if each hospitalist had a card or a copy of the card that the patient made up of the information that I just described, three quarters of the grunt work is already done. You know, oh, yeah. the hospital, the hospitalist doesn't have to go searching and hunting and looking and and guessing, you know, what is really important in this person that I need to know so that I can make the best judgment. Right. OK, so then that's when you come in. But how do you also get the most out of the hospitalist or be sure you get the best outcomes for yourself on, I'll call it day two and three? So you go in, they have the, the card, they find out what your history is. Now they start testing you or they start treating you. How do you right. manage the hospitalist as the days go on? Well, this is where you might keep your own card right. if you're inclined or if, if your friend or, or, or um, relative would keep the card. So you have a card for the hospitalist and you can keep one yourself. And that would involve basic questions which sound ridiculous. Why am I here? Okay, number one. And have you spoken to my primary care physician? Number two. Does he agree or she agree with your treatment plan or diagnosis plan? Well, let me, let me question yeah. you on that, actually. Do the hospitalists ever talk to the PCP? Because my experience was they weren't talking at all. Well, you know, in theory, they're supposed to. But have you ever tried to get your physician on the phone? I mean, come <laughs> on. Let's, let's live in the real world here. So uh, we, so we you, really if, can assume. I think that's one of the big things. We can assume that right. the, the hospitalist is talking to your PCP. And if possible, should you try and contact the PCP on your own, if nothing else, to let them know you're in the hospital and they can try contacting? Uh, you could try. There's no downside to it. And I would encourage patients and their families and friends to do that. Um, but if you've ever gotten lost in the phone tree jungle of hospital uh, of yeah. physicians, physicians' practices, good luck. I mean, even I, as a physician who's supposed to get access to another physician pretty quickly, I mean, I'll call it a practice and you'll get, welcome to the practice of X, Y, Z. Uh, if you're an existing patient, press one. If oh, you yeah. have to make an appointment, press, okay, so by that time. No, first they tell you, you, if it's an emergency, call 911. Absolutely, <laughs> so that they get themselves covered by the lawyers. Yes. But, but the point is, look, I know how to navigate the system and I have trouble. So if I have trouble, a person who's been in the system God knows for almost 50 years because my dad was a doctor and ever since I was age 10, I knew how to, how to navigate the system. And here I am, 61 years old. For half a century, I know how to navigate the system and I have problems. Do you think 
your average person and their family is going to be able to get through, please, right. let's, let's get real here. Right. Which is why, again, we have to just help them know what to do then here. Okay. So Right. So mm-hmm. there's no hard and fast right. answer as to how you're going to let your doctor know that you're in the hospital other than attempting to get through or even just leaving a message or texting or writing an email or talking to the practice uh, administrator. You'll, you'll just have to do the best you can. And let's face it, when you're in the hospital, you are in no shape or mood to do these things, right? Can you push the hospitalist though? I think you can, again, if not the patient, I, I, I can't stress enough the importance of having the family there, someone there, especially if, if it's elderly, to develop yes. a rapport with the hospitalist. I was Those poor hospitalists at my mother-in-law's hospital, I was on the phone with every single one of them. I think my, my name was in 47 Red Point, like have her on the phone. Yes. Um, well, here's another point where you can put on, on the card you give the, the doctor. You write the name of your primary care physician down, the phone number, and any key contact person in the office that you have developed a relationship with or may have. I remember my late mother had a wonderful relationship with the x-ray technician at her doctor's office, a lady named Phyllis. And whenever my mom had a problem getting through to the doctor, and bear in mind, my mother was a doctor's spouse and she was also a nurse. But uh, whenever she had problems uh, getting through to the physician's office, she said, let me talk to Phyllis. And Phyllis would get on the line and she'd say, hey, Phyllis, would you tell Dr. So-and-so that you know the medicine that I got is causing this problem and can he please give me a call? And so it's so valuable to establish a relationship with key support people in your doctor's office. It's not only the nice thing to do, but it's the helpful thing to do. Totally agree. Yeah. Uh, um, all right. So now how about again, back to, so while they're in the hospital, hospital is, hospitalist is in and out, they're telling you what to do. Um, how about just double checking what, you know, making sure asking questions about every test, every medication that somebody's giving you. Absolutely. There's nothing more miserable as a doctor for me, at least to go through the halls of hospitals and see these poor patients sitting on gurneys or sitting in, uh, uh, in wheelchairs with their IV running, with their gown on, and with probably a uh, transport person either sitting with them or close by. And they are just, they don't know why they're going to x-ray. They don't understand what's going to be done to them. They don't know how long it's going to take. They don't know how disruptive this is going to be to their day. They don't know when they're going to eat. They feel like, let's face it, they feel like a lab rat in a, in, a, in, a, in a study, you know? And I would feel for these terrible people, most of them elderly, but of course of all ages, who are just sitting in the hallway waiting to be carted off to their next, uh, for, for yes. better use of the word, experiment. I mean, certainly there's a very big role for doing studies on patients, you know, that it can be life-saving. But you look at poor Mrs. So-and-so, who's 80 years old, sitting there in the hall, waiting to be transported to the basement of the building for, she doesn't know if it's gonna be an hour, three hours. She doesn't know if they're gonna stick a needle in her. It's a terrible thing, you know? It is, well, and even if you try to ask how long something's gonna be, they have no clue. Hospitals run on hospital time. That's right, so so it's really, 
it's so important. You don't want to be at the mercy of the system. And, uh, and that's why I write my blog and do my videos right. because I'm trying to tell people, and that's why bottom line exists. I'm trying to tell people, look, if you take care of yourself now, you're not going to likely deal with this as much as the person who does. Do you really want to go through this? Really? Exactly. That's our yeah. whole point. Totally that different. is the whole point. Do yes. you really in 10 or 15 years want to deal with this system? You don't. Trust me. You don't. <laughs> and you're right. in it. So, right. You're exactly. So, so, me... uh, you, so I don't want to get off on another tangent, but I'm going to use this bully pulpit to say when you're cutting that huge slice of chocolate cake for yourself, and enjoying it and then regretting it later. Do you really want to do this and face this down the road? Think about it. Well, it's true. although every so often a bite of chocolate cake isn't bad. Yes, uh, oh sure, a little sliver of chocolate <laughs> cake, sure, of course, yes. absolutely. You gotta live too. But you know, that the, you know how I feel, we're on the same page. Without a doubt, without a doubt. It's the choices you make. And if I eat a right. bite of chocolate cake, I'm making sure I'm exercising that day. Absolutely, yeah. right. Um, so let me go back to the hospital. It's a couple more questions and then we will let you go. Um, okay. The important thing, again, you talked about that the hospitalists are generalists. Now, people are in there with specific questions. So pushing on the hospitalist to either be sure that they're consulting with the, with the specialists in an area you know, again, I mean, it was very uncomfortable to me the the well-intended but lack of knowledge by the hospitalists in terms of specific areas, digestive issues, um, you know, blood clotting issues, cardiac issues. So, how do you be sure? You know, make sure, or can you suggest that the hospitalist bring in the experts? That you know, again, you have to manage it from the bed. Right. Well. Unfortunately, you kind of have to do your own homework and you may not always be able to do that. Um, you, you have to take consideration into what your own most serious problems are and that comes with your normal physician's visit when you go to your normal, um, say yearly or every six month or whatever your problem is, visit to your doctor. It's always great to keep on that card you know, doctor, should I ever be in the hospital? What, 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 what are likely to be the major issues for me? Now, bear in mind, your doctor does not have a crystal ball, and I'm not expecting uh, that to be the case. But there are common sense uh, uh, ideas about your chronic issues that doctors can give you a heads up on, you know, if you're prone to getting uh, deep vein thrombosis and you've had blood clots before. Well, it, it's important to know that, you know, in the future, there's a chance you're going to be hospitalized for that. And, and it's, it, it might be uh, valuable to understand the one or two, three major issues that will confront you when you're hospitalized for that. Now, I'm not asking you to practice your own medicine. All I'm asking you to do is, is to make sure you're informed the best way you can. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the key in, in this whole situation, that we are in a world where you go to the hospital, you're going to be treated by a stranger. They're going to have a general, general knowledge of medicine, well-intended, well-trained, no question. They will not know you. So it is, it is burdened on every patient and every family member of a patient to push, to ask, to uncover and to not let go until you're satisfied that they are taking the proper care of the patient because it's not, that's the system that's now set up for us. 
Right. We have to live with the system for better or for worse. So um, I, I feel badly for patients who either are so frail and have lost the faculties to, to ask those questions. And if they don't have family or friends, um, it's a terrible thing. So it's always great to have a family member or, or a friend who has the personality and the uh, curiosity enough to really advocate for you. And a lot of it, as I said, is common sense. It's, it's like, you know, uh, you know, after you ask the basic question, why am I here? Certainly your hospitalist should be able to clearly answer that question for you. And then the follow-up should be, well, you know, what is the immediate plan to, to take care of why I'm here? And, and, and what, what, what together are we going to do about it? Exactly. What right. are we going to do? What's that plan? Right. And you right. know, Sarah, it's, you know, it's just not a perfect world by the, by the experience you had with your mom. We, we all know about it. So you got to make the best of what you have. It is true. All right. Yep. Dr. David Shear, thank you so very much for your wisdom and your passion. We will talk thank soon. Thank you. Great.